Welcome to the Buckhead Church Podcast. At Buckhead Church, we are for Atlanta because we believe that God is for Atlanta. And these days, it's more important than ever to be known by what we're for. And we hope this podcast helps you in your life and faith. We want to help you find greater hope with fewer regrets because we are for you. If it's your first time with us, head over to buckheadchurch.org slash new so we can meet you and send you a free For Atlanta gift on us. If you're not already receiving weekly emails from us, make sure to head to our website, scroll to the bottom, click stay informed and sign up today. The best way to keep up with everything going on is to follow us on social media, subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free Buckhead Church app. But most importantly, I hope the following episode inspires you to take the next step forward in your faith journey this week. Enjoy. Well, today we're concluding our current teaching series. I want to welcome all of you who are joining us. And as we're wrapping up this series today, I want to catch you up just a little bit. Uh, We've been talking these last several weeks about how to find reliable information, specifically in a world where there seems to be a lot of misinformation, things that uh, were presented to us by somebody who seemed like they were a reliable source, who had uh, some sort of authority in some area. But then later we, we found out that what they told us wasn't the case. Like, does anybody, anybody old enough like me to remember when Pluto was a planet? Remember that? Um, I didn't find that out that it wasn't a planet until my kids told me. They're like, it's not a planet. I'm like, oh, yes, it is. They're like, no, it's not. I'm like, oh, yes, it is. And then they're explaining to me why it's not because it can't clear out its orbit and a bunch of stuff I don't understand. But I I just discovered there were a lot of things I learned growing up that aren't true anymore. Uh, If you've been around a little longer than that, maybe in this city longer than that, you remember a time when cocaine was once actually thought of as something that was healthy for us. In fact, little dirty secret about our city is, did you know that Coca-Cola used to contain cocaine? Just a little bit. Um, You might think that's why it's so addictive. I just want to be really clear, Coca-Cola does not contain cocaine anymore. So I don't want to get any lawsuits or slander. Uh, But but here's the thing, it's interesting. Uh, A guy named Caleb Hellerman did a story for CNN on cocaine. I thought this was so interesting. And he said, long before drug cartels, crack wars, and TV shows about addiction, cocaine was once promoted as a wonder drug. It was sold as a cure-all and praised by some of the greatest minds in medical history, including Sigmund Freud, who we're going to talk about a little bit later, and the pioneering surgeon William Halstead. There's all sorts of things that we thought were right at some point that later on we discovered we're wrong. We've been looking through the lens in this uh, series, <clears throat> through the lens of the creation story, uh, the Genesis story. It's an ancient story that's time-tested, um, and, and we're not debating the genre or the historicity. I mean, that, that's probably a worthy discussion for another day, but we're talking about what the story means because the value of a story is in the meaning of the story. And what we found over the last couple of weeks is uh, this story has remarkable insight into why things are the way that they are in the world today. And I'll just tell you, for me, um, if you haven't figured this out, this story is one of those stories that is truest to my life experience. It's truest to what I've seen. And after over two and a half decades of doing ministry and meeting with people, I've seen this story over and over and over play out in people's lives. We've been looking to this story specifically as it relates to three questions. The first question is, who is God? Or is there a God? Or who are the gods? And if there is a God, who is your God? That's what we talked about the first week. And who's really the ultimate authority, the God of your life? Because that plays into the other two of life's three biggest questions. The second one being, who am I? 
And once you determine who is the ultimate authority about what's true in the world, you now can begin to discover what's true about me and who's the ultimate authority about what's true about you. Is it you? Is it somebody else's opinion? Is there a God who has something to say about you and what's true about you? And then today, we're going to focus on this last question. What's the best way to live? Which um, is sort of a tricky one. And I just want to say up front, uh, for me, I don't claim to have all the answers of life. Um, I, you can, if you talk to my family, I, I certainly don't have all the, the corner of the market on wisdom. But I will tell you this. One of the things I love to do, and one of the things we love to do here uh, in our churches is lead people uh, towards the direction of truth and lead people towards a direction where they can find answers. And so today I want to talk a lot, I want you in that context, I want to talk about what's the best direction and which, which way we should be living. Because as we've talked about in this series, um, there is both reality and unreality out there. Reality being things that are true about the world and true about our relationships and true about life. And and those things guide us in the right direction. But there's also a bunch of unrealities out there. Things that that lead us in the wrong direction. Things that that are, uh, aren't, aren't not only not true to our experience, but they're not true. We put our faith and our trust in certain things that we realize uh, we were wrong about all along or somebody was wrong about that told us about these things. And we've reflected uh, on the extraordinary capacity of humanity to hold both unreality and reality in our minds at the same time, which, which makes us truly extraordinary. It's one of our greatest strengths. And, and it's the thing that, that, that leads us to progress and innovation. It's when we take our imagination and these things that, that aren't a reality today and we work together into bringing them into reality. But as we saw last week, our greatest strength is also our greatest Achilles heel. It's that ability to latch on to ideas that will never be a reality. Uh, ideas that, that we've formulated and, and we've uh, derived from things that, that have deceived us. They've led us in the wrong direction and our potential to be deceived and, and to be controlled, our potential to try to define reality on our own terms has led us in the wrong diref- direction. Today, we're shifting a little bit, uh, not away from the story totally. We're going to come back to that a little bit later, but we're shifting our attention to the way of Jesus. And and I'm going to propose that the way of Jesus is the best way to live. It's going to be a little bit of a journey getting there today. Um, But last week, we said that Jesus came as a rabbi, which a rabbi is a teacher. And a teacher, the essence of what a teacher is, is an informational guide for developing mental maps to reality. A mental map is just a web of ideas through which we see the world and try and interpret the world, what's true, what's right, what direction to go in. And Jesus came as an informational guide to a mental map that really was true to the way life works and, and true to the reality of the way things are. And I want to look today um, at, at the way Jesus began his teaching. In fact, if you have a Bible, we're going to begin in Luke chapter 6 with one of Jesus' most famous teachings called the Sermon on the Mount. And in Luke chapter 6, which is, is the lesser uh, of two versions where we normally focus on this, Matthew's uh, story of the Sermon on the Mount normally gets all the press. We're going to look at Luke's. And, and in Luke, the way Luke records this is phenomenal because uh, he compares and contrasts two things. And, and what we're going to see today is what Jesus is proposing about reality versus unreality in the world is disorienting. And it was as disorienting to them as it's going to sound to us. And the reason is, is because Jesus' teaching, it doesn't match what they were taught about reality. 
As a matter of fact, some of you have seen uh, uh, one of these spheres before, these glass spheres. It was disorienting because Jesus, a lot of people have said Jesus came to turn things upside down. If you've ever seen one of these things, if you've seen photography through it, you have to kind of look for a second because it's sort of disorienting. You see a picture and what this does is it turns things upside down and it can be disorienting. It can also, I'm not talking about this current view that you're looking at, it can also be beautiful though. And in this photography, you can see um, how this can be a beautiful beautiful thing. The thing I wanna say today is maybe Jesus wasn't coming to turn things upside down. Maybe he was turning things right side up. And if you don't know this, um, this is what your eye does. You know, your, your eyeball is a sphere and in the back of your eye, you actually see everything upside down, um, but your brain flips it right side up. And I think Jesus is giving us a lens through which to see reality. But on the surface, it's disorienting. In Matthew, or excuse me, Luke chapter six, beginning in uh, verse 20, this is what he says. He says, blessed are you who are poor, which right off the bat, we're like, that's not the people that we see as blessed in our society, but blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. And blessed are you who hunger now for you will be satisfied. And blessed are you who weep now for you will laugh. And blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and when they insult you and reject your name as evil. Because of the son of man, speaking of himself, I mean, really, I mean, when they exclude me and they insult me and they reject me, he says, yeah, it's even better that you should rejoice in that day when that happens and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets who were the people that came to represent the truth of the realities of God. And right off the bat, it's like, I mean, really, Jesus? Like, really, you're saying the people that are blessed are the poor people. You're blessed if you're poor and if if you're disenfranchised and you're hungry and you're excluded and you're rejected. Jesus is is putting forth uh, four values. And he says, listen, in my kingdom, I value weakness and I value sacrifice and I value sorrow and and I value rejection. And on the surface, we go, okay, wait, if that's what your kingdom is about and that's what you value, I don't know that I'm so much on board with what you value because this does not seem like the people that experience these things are the blessed people in our world. It gets worse. He goes on. He says, that, that, that's who the blessed people are. But woe to you who are rich, which nobody said ever. It's not like, oh, woe is me. I'm so rich. Like nobody says that. Woe to you who are rich for you've already received your comfort. And woe to you who are well-fed now, for you will go hungry. And woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. And woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Those who told people what they wanted to hear, not what was really true, but what they wanted to hear about life. Hey, they, that, that it was good to pursue riches, that it was good uh, to, to be independent, that it was good to, to be on top of the world and looking down on everyone else, to be recognized as great in the minds of other people. He says, the people that have to watch out, woe to the people who pursue power and the people uh, who pursue comfort and people who pursue success and people who want recognition. 
It might be good for a time, but in the end, it won't end well. Now, okay, I, I just want to test you for a second and see if we can all be intellectually honest today. Which, I just want you to think in your mind, which of these two lists is more appealing to you? So I want you to play along, whether you're in this room or in another room at one of our other campuses or strategic partners, even if you're in your living room with somebody else. I want to see the hands of everybody who thinks the list on the left seems appealing to you. Can I see all the hands real quick? Not any in this room. I don't know about the other rooms if you guys are playing along. I think people are playing along, just no, no hands on this list because none of us look at those things and go, yeah, that's what I want. How about the list on the right? How many of you think the list on the right looks appealing? Okay, just remember you're in church, by the way. You, you need to be honest. So, 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 so here's the thing. Of course, I mean, we look at this list and go, I mean, woe are these people. Nobody feels sorry for rich people people who are comfortable, people who are successful, people who get recognition. Nobody feels bad for those people. This is what we all aspire to, right? We don't wanna be dependent upon somebody else. We, we wanna be in a place where we feel safe and secure and comfortable. We, we, we wanna be accomplished. We wanna be recognized for our accomplishments. Nobody aspires to the list over here on the left. Nobody feels blessed when they're in a weak position. Nobody feels blessed when they have to sacrifice. Nobody feels blessed when they're rejected or marginalized, when they're in our culture, when you're canceled. Nobody feels blessed in that situation. The difference and, and the difficulty with this between these two things is what we perceive to be valuable and what Jesus is saying is valuable, some valuable uh, guidelines for the way you find the best way to live. Now, the, the difficult uh, time we have embracing this is because this is difficult not just to embrace intellectually, but to trust in these things, to pursue weakness and sacrifice, like to pursue, like who wants to be sad? Like it's difficult to trust in and actually live out these things, which, which is what it is to put our faith in those things. And ultimately we choose to reject it. It's because of what, we, what uh, Blaise Pascal taught us last week. If you weren't here last week, uh, Blaise Pascal in the 17th century said something that was true then and it's still true today. People almost invariably arrive at their beliefs, not on the basis of proof, but on the basis of what they find attractive. And let's be honest, this list over here on the left, there's nothing on this list that looks attractive to us instead we look at this list on the right and go, this is what I want. This is what I want to build my life toward. And the reason we got there, the way we got there is by embracing two mainstream ideologies in our culture. And they've become cultural norms and values. So just for the next portion of our program, if you're in a room at one of our campuses or strategic partners, I want you to take your feet and pull them underneath your chair for a second. It's a little hard if you're on your couch at home. Pull them underneath your chair because I think I'm about to step up on somebody's toes right now and I don't want it to feel personal. But there's two ideologies that we've embraced. You've said these things. You've embraced these things. I had a fight with my teenage daughter last night at dinner about why these things are not good. The first one is this. The first one is you've been taught that you have to look out for yourself and, and you have to look out for number one. And if you're going to be true to something, you should be true to, somebody help me. You should be true to yourself. Be true to you. If you're going to be true to something in your life, you need to be true to you because nobody else is going to be true to you and you need to be true to yourself. And this is something that, that we've embraced. And it's like, this is my individuality. This is, this is, what, this is what I'm supposed to be about. The other one um, is, is probably 
I'm, equally, I'm gonna make somebody mad about this, but uh, the second one has to do with your heart. Maybe somebody could, could help and guess what this one is, but we're told um, in our society that we should, we should what? You should follow your, follow your heart. And this is, a, this is very, uh, very popular in our society, is to follow your heart. And, you know, there's, there's, there's a romantic idea involved in this. And it's like, oh, yes, that's what I want. I want to follow my heart. I'm going to follow my heart in romance and follow my heart in my life and get what my heart truly desires. But I want to break both of these down for a minute. And, and, and it's okay if you're arguing with me in your mind. That's, that's fine. Um, you're going to win for a minute, but I'm going to win in the end because I have the microphone. But, but here's the thing. Um, be true to yourself. The essence of what this means is the, to not worry about, you know, the part of it that we like is don't worry about what other people think about you. But you sh- it basically says you shouldn't worry about living by someone else's standards or rules. You should live according to your own natural self, to your own inner compass. Now, I'm gonna give an Amazon gift card, a very generous Amazon gift card to the first person and I'm to level the playing field. Um, I, the first person who messages me on Facebook or Instagram, you'll have to find me, message me on Facebook or Instagram. If you message me the origin of this phrase, and it's a, a phrase that's, that's fairly old and, and um, it, it comes from something um, that that's actually was written. It was a play. And, and to give you a hint, it, uh, it, it was a play by Shakespeare. And the original phrase was this, to thine own self be true. And if you know exactly where it came from, and I'm not talking about the play, okay, the play's, I'll give you another hint, the play is Hamlet, but somebody specific in the play said this. All right, now that I've given enough time, um, I'm sure somebody's already sent me a message. Does anybody in the room know what, 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 who said this? I had to look it up too. Okay, so it was Polonius from Hamlet. And I don't know if you know who Polonius is, but Polonius, somebody over there got it and they're like cheering for them. If you couldn't hear that at another campus, that's awesome. Um, They're gonna teach the next series that we're doing here at the church. It's on literature, I don't know. Um, so, So it was Polonius. And here's what's so extraordinary about this. Does anybody remember who Polonius was in the story? Polonius was the advisor to the villain Claudius. And Hamlet actually presents him in the story as the fool. So isn't this awesome? We've hitched our wagon to the flawed idea of a fool from an ancient play. That's, that's where we get this. And it's to thine own self, to yourself. You need to be true to yourself. Here's my question. I, I don't even care about the literatures. We can argue about what, what, what the literature means. But, but here, here's, here's my question. Which self should I be true to? Like, and I'm not, I'm not dealing with multiple personality disorders. That's a real thing, but I'm not dealing with that today. I'm just saying like, honestly, on some days when I am on my way home from work, I love my wife and my kids and I wanna be present at home and I wanna come in and I wanna help and I wanna help with homework and dinner and I wanna uh, help with sorting out problems and challenges. And sometimes though, after a hard day's work, I wanna come home and you know what I really wanna do? I just want to escape downstairs veg in front of the TV with something will take the edge off and let the kids sort out their own problems and let them figure it out for themselves. I know I'm the only one. I know none of you deal with anything like this, but, but like, which self should I be true to? The self that loves my wife and kids or the self that wants to be selfish and escape and maybe engage in behavior that is not good for me. It's not healthy for me. 
come on, which self should I be true to? Because in this theory, both are viable and justifiable to be true to myself, if that's the goal. And what I want is always shifting back and forth between different things. And it's really because it's just based on what I want in that moment. And this opens the possibility of all sorts of dangerous and unhealthy and destructive things in our lives. It brings all sorts of things into play. And the second one isn't unlike the first. I'll just say this. In fact, it's probably a cousin or derivative of the first is to follow your heart. And I know it sounds good and it sounds romantic, but did you know that this, this represents a significant shift in our society that's relatively recent in the West? And you need to know this because this affects your life and you, you probably don't even realize it. Did you know that just up until just about 100 years ago, uh, this, is, this is documented in a book uh, called A Secular Age by Charles Taylor. You can, you can read the book. He, 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 dic- he talks about the influences on our society and he talks about this cultural shift that happened in our world, world, world if I can talk. And the cultural shift was from a culture of authority, a culture of authority, to a culture of authenticity. Culture of authority to a culture of authenticity, to which on the surface, we all look at that and we go, well, that's good, isn't it? I mean, we're moving from, from authority to authenticity. There's all sorts of terrible things in terms of how people have used authority. And gosh, it seems like being authentic and the authentic self, like this is really important. But this is what governs the, the cultural mindset. This is what governs our society. We talked about how the mind actually rules our lives. That was last week. Did you know that beginning in about the fourth century, the philosophies of Augustine was what primarily shaped uh, the values of the West. They were based on Judeo-Christian values in the fourth century. And we, we, give, we talk about founding fathers, fathers and other people, but this goes way back further. I mean, we're, we're talking, you know, like what, 1600 years ago. Augustine's philosophy was that the highest value um, that we could aspire to is love. And not just any kind of love, it's, it's pure love. It's love where there isn't a loser. It's, it's that, this sort of love that, that governs our lives in such a way that, that people around us feel valued and humanity can flourish in community with one another. And, and, and this love was, was defined by him as the highest good. And the problem was not that we love. The problem is that we either love the wrong things or we love the right things in the wrong order. That was the problem of humanity for Augustine. And this, this governed our society for a long time. This was the authority, the, the, the highest good of humanity, loving ourselves and loving other people. This governed our society. This is what created, this, this philosophy created a lot of the world in which we live in now. Until about a little over 100 years ago, when Sigmund Freud showed up. And I'm not making out Sigmund Freud out to be the new serpent today. That's not, that's not my point. But Sigmund Freud showed up and, and he, he disagreed. He said, that's not the most important thing. The most important thing, the highest good was your pleasure. This is, and this is, this is, this is psychology that a lot of us learn in school. This, this was the highest good. In fact, he said, a repression of your desires, a repression of what you want, a repression 
of your desire to live out your pleasures was the beginning or the basis for all neurosis or a negative internal state in yourself. That's the beginning is denying yourself. Translation, here's what he's saying. The reason you're not happy is because you're not getting what you want. To which we all go, amen. What's wrong with that? That's right. I need to get what I want. Like that's, that's what's gonna make me happy. No, that's wrong. In fact, all, almost all in psychological academia today say that's not what's best for you. What's best for you is not for you to always get what you want because you don't always want the right things and you don't always want the right things in the right order. And what happened is, is this shifted things. It shifted things from this governing external value being love to this internal value of I have to find my own pleasure. And the best way to live became about getting what I want versus wanting truly good things. What I want right now versus what's truly good in the world for me and for other people. It was this shift from an external motivation in life to an internal motivation in life. It said, hey, life is all about me. And I'm gonna order my life. The best way to live is for me to chase and to fulfill my pleasures, to follow my heart, to be true to myself. That's the best way to live. That became our moral compass. Our heart and following our heart, being true to what's in our heart. Can I really quickly tell you what the scriptures say about your heart? Just just look at this real quick. This is what the scriptures say. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Like we can't even put it on a scale because it could be horribly bad. Like we can't, we can't even, we don't even know how bad it is. So you shouldn't follow your heart. In the New Testament, that's the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the apostle Paul is addressing people who are following their heart. And he says this, he says, their destiny is destruction when you follow your heart. Their God is in their stomach. It's what their appetites long for. It's what their pleasure uh, is for. And, and, And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Now, please tell me if you were here the first week, you remember, I I drew three circles. I I didn't draw any circles yet today, but I drew three circles and they overlapped. Anybody remember this from the first week? Does this sound familiar? Their mind was set on earthly things. Their God was in their stomach, it was in their desires and their destiny was destruction. I want to take you back real quick. This is literature that's thousands of years apart. It's the creation story. It's the apostle Paul thousands of years later, describing what's happening to society. And it's the same thing. The enemy's up to the same basic strategy in trying to lead us towards destruction. He, he plants ideas in our mind. He gets us focused on earthly things, temporal things, what I want, immediate things, what I want now. Hey, he distorts our desires. He put these desires that once were good. I mean, every desire I believe is a derivative of something that's God given, but he's distorted these desires. And we're trying to, to, uh, we're trying to satisfy legitimate desires in illegitimate ways. And he distorts these desires and leads us towards what he said their destiny is destruction towards this destructive behavior. It happened in the garden and it was happening in the New Testament church. Now, here's the thing. We look at this, and and some of you still have attention with me. You look at these things, and you're like, I mean, these sound good, though, and they make me feel good, but they're wrong. They're wrong. 
They're not reality. They don't lead you toward reality. They're not wrong in like the moral sense. They're they're wrong in the sense of validity. Reality, it's not a cohesive idea and a cohesive thought. See, you're told, this is what we're told. We're told, be true to you and follow your heart and nothing will go wrong. I mean, you can't go wrong if you follow your heart and you be true to yourself. But that's wrong. We know that, right? It's horribly wrong. It's spectacularly wrong because things can go wrong. They have gone wrong and they will continue to go wrong as, we, as long as we follow our hearts. Okay, I need to calm down a little bit. But here's, here's my point. Here's my point in all this. We have got to stop saying this. This is not good for you. This is not what God wants for you. As your pastor, I'll just say, if we could just wipe this from our vernacular, maybe you, need, you, know, you mean something pure. Maybe you mean something better. But the truth is, is, it says, I am the God of my life. Back to the first part of the series. And what's in my heart, what's in my soul, what, what my desires are today and my pleasures are today, I should follow that and let that be the God of me. And if that's true, the enemy will lead you towards death and destruction in your life. That's what reality is is. The bottom line is you and I, we we live out what we trust in, in our lives. We live out in our lives practically the things we trust in, in our heart and in our mind. And, And the difference is a matter of who you decide to trust. Are you trusting you? Are you trusting your reasoning? Are you trusting the culture and, and these popular ideas in our day? Are you trusting, you know, what you feel today or, or what your gut says? Isn't it true that the last time you trusted your heart, your heart deceived you? My question is this, who do you trust in for the best way to live? Who is it? Who's the ultimate authority? Who governs that in your life? This is important. You need to be a thoughtful person. You need to decide this for you, for your family, for your kids, for future generations, the people that you, you lock arms with, you partner with in business, the people that you, you're in relationship with. Who and what is the ultimate authority in guiding your life? The last time you followed your heart, be honest, the last time you followed your heart, you trusted in you. That's what you did. Now, why you did that, I don't know, but you bought into the idea that you could trust you more than you could trust God or more than you could trust what somebody else in your life or maybe a group of someones who were warning you about or telling you what not to do. You trusted in you, and if you're honest, you let you down. You did. doesn't make you a bad person, but you let you down. And the truth is, is that following Jesus and Following your heart are two very different things. I just want to pause real quick and just say something. It's not because you're a bad person on the inside. Uh, you're, you're this horribly wrong person, but the heart is wicked. And when you come to faith in Jesus, he does transform you and make you new. And this doesn't have to have anything to do with, are you acceptable to God or not? He's made you new. God accepts us. He, he welcomes us just the way that we are, but he loves us too much to allow us to stay that way. That's why he sent Jesus to be a guide, an informational guide to live life the way he really designed life to be lived. See, following Jesus and following your heart, they're two different things. They're two different choices. I want you to think about your natural self for a second. I want to come back over here to Jesus' teaching. When you think about your natural self 
and you think about what you desire. I mean, the truth is it's the natural self in the scriptures. It talks about, we don't have time to unpack this, but it talks about it as our flesh. It's those distorted desires. The, the enemy has distorted our, our desires inside of us. The truth is, is we don't fantasize about anything over here. This is what we fantasize about. This is what we strive towards is power and comfort and success and recognition. And Jesus says, warning to you that pursue those things, who chase after those things, which is all of us, if we're honest. These are the things in our world, our world's taught us, conditioned us. This is what you need. This is what you have to pursue. However, just for a second, if we're really thoughtful about what's going on, while it's not intuitive, and it's not natural. I would say that the list on the left, if we really think about it, is actually the better way to live. If we decide to, to dig down and reach underneath this, this is the part where it's like, this is, this, you're like, you're gonna have to put that in front of there and turn it over. Can you flip the board upside down? Because this, this isn't gonna make any sense to me. But I want you to know, this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, hey, if you'll think about it for a second, it's disorienting at first. But if you'll really look at this, if you'll stare at it, if you'll consider it, it's more beautiful. It's a better way to live. I want you to think about your relationships for a second. In a relationship, is it better to open up or is it better to power up in a relationship? Especially when you run into conflict or a disagreement or you're trying to sort something out. Is it better to power up on somebody or to open up? When we power up, what happens is, is we fight for control. We have to be right. And the truth is, is, is out of fear of loss of control, out of fear of, of giving someone else too much ground or control in our life, we push people away by powering up in our relationships. But those people who are vulnerable and they open up, they're willing to own their piece of the pie they're willing to confess. They're willing to say, I made a mistake. I did something wrong. What happens? We draw people in. It's better for our relationships. This doesn't work. This is a better way to live your life. It's a more beautiful way. It's a more helpful way to live out your relationships in your life. We could do a series on all these. This, this one here, I want you to think, if you're a parent for a second, what do you want for your kids and children? We, you know, we worked really hard in our lives. Most of us have sacrificed greatly so our kids could be comfortable. I'm not sure that's good for them. I mean, comfortability leads to complacency. They have more than they could ever want. And I'm not I'm pointing a finger. This is my kids too. But it leads to complacency and it leads to entitlement. They don't learn the value of hard work like you did. They don't learn the value of gratitude. Uh, they don't gain a work ethic. See, in, in parenting, this is not good. Like this is not a better way to operate is the highest value being, I just want my kids to be comfortable. I wanna shield them from all the difficulty out in the world until they get there. And then guess what? They become a sacrifice. That's what happens. Come on. Jesus, this is, this is hundreds of years old. This is truth. This is reality about the way the world works. We talk about success for a second. I mean, everything that the world defines as success, more zeros in my bank account, more, more toys in my garage, more stuff in my home, a better image in the world, a, a second home, a, you know, everything you could ever want, you have it. And here's the thing, some of you have gotten there and you realize that that version of success is void of meaning and it's void of purpose. You're like, so what's the alternative? To be sad? 
Like, I'm going to be sad and I get to walk around and look at everybody else who's enjoying all that stuff and I'm just sad about it. That's the goal? I want you to think for a second. We, we, we don't think deeply enough about these things. I want you to think about sorrow for a second. Sorrow is truly one of the most extraordinary measures of meaning. When you think about something that you have and then you lose it, the degree to which you're sad actually determines the degree to which you value that thing. Let me ask you, what makes you sad? You've maybe even said before, I, I, I didn't know what I had until it was, well, until it was gone. See, when you lean into your sorrow, Andy's given us this question before, what breaks your heart? That question leads to meaning and purpose beyond anything you can put in your garage, beyond any address that's out there, beyond anything you can put on your hand or put on your, on your finger. The reality is, is being driven by this and not the world's definition of this is better. It's a better way to live. And, and this last one, I'm just, I'm just gonna quickly uh, just, just let you know, I, I think we're all on the same page. Aren't we all tired of people who in the world, you know, th- th- their highest good is doing what's popular and doing what will get them recognized to get voted or to get promoted or to get, to get more followers. I'm just gonna do what's popular. I'm gonna do what I think people want me to do or appease people or, or panhandle. And, and I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna promote myself. I'm gonna put myself above everybody else so that I can be recognized. We're all tired of that. What would be refreshing, honestly, if we're, if we're truthful, what would be refreshing is a candidate that for once just decided to stand up and say, look, I just want you to know I'm gonna say up front, I know I'm not getting elected, but while I have the microphone, I'm just gonna tell you what's true and what's right. And my party doesn't agree with this. And the people around me say I shouldn't say this, but this is what's true. This is what's right. This is what will lead us as a society toward the best way to live. Wouldn't that be refreshing? I mean, here, here's the thing, uh, as we're wrapping up the series, uh, look, we, we think of faith as something for religious people. It's not. All people live by faith. To have faith in something is simply to live as if it's true. There's all sorts of things that we want to be true, that we hope are true because we have a... Uh, something that's governing our lives that needs for it to be true. But it's not good for you. The question is not, do you have faith? The question is, who or what do you have faith in? Jesus came as an informational guide to reality. He came for what was best for you, for all those who would decide to trust in him. God, whatever's in my hands, Whatever you've given me, whatever you've entrusted to me, whatever I have, I'm gonna trust it to you. I'm gonna let you be the God of my life and everything in it. I'm gonna operate based on who you say I am, not based on what other people think about me. And I'll live out my life according to the way that you say is the best way for me to live. It's going, God, you're my God. I am who you say I am. And I want to follow you to find the best way to live, the best things in this life. The reality is you can live as if the, Bible, the God of the Bible exists. He's the ultimate authority of your life and what's true about the world or not. 
what's true about these questions and all sorts of other questions in life. You can live as if he's the ultimate authority or not. You have the freedom. That's how amazing God was. He decided not to control you. He gave you a choice. But if you choose not to, I just want you to know, you live in a very limited reality of what is possible for you. What's possible for you to experience. The fullness of life that's possible for you to experience. Last illustration before we finish. Did you know uh, our standard number system? Uh, It's called the base 10 number system. And in the base 10 number system, uh, it involves uh, nine digits of value. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine. There's nine digits of value in the number system. But the reason it's called the base 10 system is because there is another number. And the other number is zero. And the zero, I want you to think about this thing. The zero in its essence is nothing. The zero is nothing. But when it comes to mathematics, its presence is actually absolutely everything. Here's why. The zero is what made it possible for us to go to 10. And every number that's after it, there's an infinite possibility of numbers because of the zero that seems like it's nothing, but it's absolutely everything. In one sense, God is like nothing. He's like the zero. Do not cut that out of this sermon and post it somewhere online. He, he is like the zero in this sense that you can live as if he doesn't exist. You don't have to acknowledge or believe in him. You can operate your life as if he is not the ultimate authority in your life almost as if he's nothing, but he's everything because when he's factored into our lives, doors open to infinite possibilities of the fullness of life that's possible for us, which is considerably more than many of us are experiencing right now in our lives. So just as your pastor, I just wanna say, I'm begging of you right now, like related to these questions and, and all the implications of these questions. I, I, I ask you would, you, would you consider in all of your life, trying to figure out how to pursue God as your God, the God of the Bible, is the ultimate authority of your life, what defines what's true about you and the best way to live. The apostle Paul said this. He said it's to him that's able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. It's to him that we should ascribe our loyalty. It's to him that we should ascribe our trust. He's asking us to trust him and his ability far beyond ours, far beyond our cultural ideologies, his ability is an ability to lead us to infinite joy and infinite peace, infinite hope, infinite purpose and meaning, an infinite amount of extraordinary life for those who decide to trust in him because we live out what we trust in. May you find the infinite amount of life, the immeasurably more that God has for you. Let me pray for you. God, I pray for somebody who's watching or tuning in or here today. Maybe they're sitting at home 
Maybe they're traveling along the road today. Or for somebody who's listening, who's really wrestling with wanting to follow their heart and their, the pleasures of this world and allow themselves to be guided by this inner compass of what they want because that's what's not only culturally acceptable, it's what's encouraged, it's, what, it's what's promoted, it's what's celebrated. God, I pray that you'd help us with sober reality to realize that that sort of thinking and that sort of culture is, is so new. It's relatively new in our culture and we're just beginning to see the effects of where that leads in the world. And I just pray you rescue us. Rescue us from thinking that we know the way. We know a better way. The truth is, is you know us intimately and you know what's best for us and you know what the best way to live is, and you only want good for us in our lives, our highest good, because our highest good leads to your greatest glory. And so I just pray for somebody today who's wrestling with that, supernaturally, you'd give them the faith to trust in you, maybe in a spot they're in right now, in a relationship, their business. Maybe you've been whispering today to them of exactly what they need to do I pray that you give them the wisdom to know what that is and the courage to take that step and trust in you. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear more messages like this, we've made it super easy. First, you can hit the subscribe button to get these messages on your device every week. Second, you can download our app from iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your apps. Or third, you can check out our YouTube channel. Just search for Buckhead Church and make sure to subscribe. Have a great day.